even though the tournament is over, basketball never stops on the 19.9 Podcast. We're joined today by Loyola Chicago standout, Lucas Williamson. We're going to talk to Lucas about his career on the court for the Ramblers. Just crazy. The way in which that we were winning games in March, I didn't know anything else other than going to the Final Four. Williamson also served as the narrator on The Loyola Project, a recently released documentary about the 1963 Loyola Ramblers, a team that broke racial barriers while also capturing the national title. Lucas, you actually have a lot to do or a lot in common with the 63 God. When a narrator has something to do with the story, it just makes it that much easier and that much more believable to tell the story. Now, on to the show. So, Lucas, thanks for joining us here on the 19.9 Podcast. Hey, what's up? Thanks for having me. All right, man. So, congratulations are in order on a stellar career, Loyola. I know it was tough to see it come to an end uh, this past March with a first-round loss to Ohio State, but uh, you certainly had a stellar career there at Loyola. Now, we're only recording this about two weeks after that game, so have you been able to kind of reflect on the past five years and, and put some context and perspective around your experience at Loyola just yet? Um... I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's going to take me some time to just digest, uh, just because there was so much that happened these past years. There's so many people that I met, so many teammates that I had. Um, So it's going to take me a little bit more time. Gotcha, gotcha. So, you know, one of the things we like to explore here on the 99 podcast is how they first got involved with the game of basketball. So what's your basketball origin story? When did you, Steiner, get introduced to the game? Yeah, I've been playing basketball all my life. Um, I was first given a ball when I was like two years old Um, my dad um, you know just he gave me a baseball and a basketball and every day it was either I was on the baseball field pitching or I was um, playing basketball with uh, my mom with my dad but my mom worked at at the YMCA so I always had a gym and I always had a field to go to Uh, but other than that I just I didn't, in fun fact, I actually didn't like basketball back then. It was just something that I played um, because my dad wanted me to play. And then later on, I was like, hey, I'm actually kind of good at this. Let me, and down the line, I started to like it a little more. When did the interest in the game kind of kick in a little bit more? Um, Probably around like second grade. That was when I was, I started to get taller than everybody. And then I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of good at this, and I, and, I, and I like winning. So let me keep let me keep playing this game. Gotcha. No shortage of winning when you were at Whitney Young, too, which mm-hmm. is where you went to high school. You know, you come to Loyola in 2017 from Whitney Young, and, and again, that's a perennial power in the Chicago area. Your freshman season at Loyola ends with the Ramblers in the Final Four. That's for the first time since 1963. We're going to get more to that team in a bit. But I want to I want to sense. Give me one word to describe that Final Four experience for you. Um. Just crazy, uh, <laughs> crazy. Just the way in which that we were winning games in March, um, you know, just for it to be my freshman year um, and for me to actually, like, you know, be a contributor on that team. Um, there was just so many things that were going on that year that I 
honestly took for granted at the time because that was all I knew. I didn't know anything else other than going to the Final Four. And it wasn't until my sophomore year where we didn't make the tournament, I was like, oh, this is actually kind of hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's how those guys at Duke feel when they don't make a Final Four. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, just, yeah, it's, it's interesting because you had this year unique experience at Loyola where you had this Final Four as a freshman. I think you're injured a lot your sophomore year. Don't make the tourney. Then there's an NIT, then COVID. I mean, this has been a wild five-year ride for you. Sweet 16 run, too. So um, beyond that Final Four run, you know, as I said, there were two other NCAA tournament appearances. The one we just mentioned that just uh, unfortunately ended with Ohio State, but there was also a, a Sweet 16 run last year. You know, like Larry Bird decades before you, too, you were a multiple All-Missouri Valley Conference honors. But how would you characterize your time at Loyola and the success you enjoyed individually as well as on the team level? Uh, I mean, that's a great question. Um, like you said, like it's it's been a crazy last five years, um, not just because of, uh, you know, not just because of the games that I play, the games that we won and successes that we had, but just like, you know, like you mentioned COVID and, and all the other things that are going on in the world right now. Like uh, it's just been absolutely crazy. So like to characterize like, you know, my career, I just say it's just it's just been a blessing. I mean, it's been a blessing to be a part of teams that, you know, I actually liked and I actually liked being around the guys and I actually like hated when it was over. Um, and I was around guys that, you know, we loved each other, but we also loved competing and we loved to win. And we loved holding each other accountable uh, and holding each other to a high standard, which I feel like is rare. And that's um, those are the type of locker rooms and environments that I like to be around and that I think that I thrive in. That's awesome, man. So, well, like I said, man, just congrats on a great career there at Loyola. And, you know, one of the things you got involved in during the middle of your career at Loyola was the Loyola Project. And that's a documentary about Loyola's 1963 national title team. And, and that team was also a trailblazing squad in terms of racial integration. So first, I want to ask you, how did you get involved with the documentary to begin with? Yeah, so I was always close to the project um, at, at its early stages. Like when they first pitched Patrick, uh, the director of the film, uh, to come on, like I was at that meeting. I kind of was just there as just a current representative of the team. Um, and then me and Patrick kind of naturally like developed a relationship because he's a Chicagoan. Um, he went to Fenwick, I went to Whitney Young. Um, and then as he started to get to know the story a little bit more intimately, um, he was looking for a narrator and he said, you know, Lucas, you actually have a lot to do or a lot in common with the 63 guys. For example, I started playing basketball at the YMCA, as I mentioned. Jerry Harkness also started playing basketball at the YMCA. Uh, I'm a current member of the team. Jerry's the captain of his team. I was the captain of my team. I'm from Chicago. Jack Egan's from Chicago. So there was just a lot of different similarities between me and the story. Um, and Patrick always said that he, when a narrator has something um, to do with the story, it just makes it that much easier and that much more believable to tell a story so i said okay i'll give it a go but if i mess up <laughs> just fire me and then hire somebody else and uh we'll just go from there because i just didn't want to be the one to mess up the story yeah well in fairness you're a journalism major and i think your dad was in media too so this, right. uh, <laughs> you got a lot to hold up to so so as the narrator for the documentary what did this entail kind of what was the process for you because it's also interesting to know that you did much of this work during the pandemic. So what was the process like as the narrator of this film? Yeah, I mean, it was just about finding time. 
And and obviously in the early stages, I had nothing but time because I, like you said, I started this project um, during lockdown, like during COVID, like quarantine lockdown. Um, so I recorded the whole thing in my closet. They sent me a mic. They sent me a mic stand and a spit mic. And I set it up in my closet because it's the quietest room in my apartment. And then they would just send me a script and I would have them on the phone with me. And then we kind of just did it like that. There was no like professional like booth that I went to or none of that. It was just the whole thing was recorded in my closet. Pretty, uh, seems pretty archaic for a film, but it's just kind of the realities of the pandemic, right? Right, right. <laughs> So before you get involved in this project, what did you know about the 1963 Loyola team? I mean, obviously you saw there's a banner there in the gym, right. but what did you know of that team and kind of their experiences? Yeah, I think that, you know, it's hard to come to Loyola, especially be around the basketball team and not hear about the 63 team. However, um, my the extent of knowledge that I knew about the 63 team was that there was a game of change game. Um, to where Mississippi State had to sneak out and play this game. And then I knew that they won a national championship. And that was pretty much it. I had no idea, like, the intricacies of the story, all of that, all of what they had to go through on and off the court. And quite honestly, like, I never really thought about it um, because I figured that, you know, them winning the national championship would have made it worth it. Um, and it does. But at the same time, I had no idea – all of what they like went through to get to that point. You know, both through your time at Loyola, but also with this project, what kind of interaction did you have with the surviving members of the team? Yeah. So once again, like being a part of this program, especially pre-COVID, um, the 63 team, they were around. Those guys, they came to practices, they came to games. Um, so I knew like a lot of those guys, um, you know, bet, like in the movie, there's a scene where, um, all of us are on a Zoom call, like, you know, Ben Richardson, Dante Ingram, uh, myself, Crut, like all of the, the current guys were current on a Zoom yeah. call with the 63 team guy. Like, we had known them for years. Um, we just didn't know, like, the intricacies of their story. So, you know, one notable piece of the 63 team story is that game of change that you referenced earlier. That happens against Michigan State in the second round of the tournament. For those who don't know about that game and its significance, provide a recap for us. Like, just give us a synopsis of what the game of change was. Yeah, the game of change is a story that you should know about. Um, first of all, just from like the game of change is like Mission Impossible. Like, it, it, it was crazy. Um, so, a quick synopsis, synopsis of what it was. So, Loyola. They advance, they accept their ticket to the NCAA tournament, but they have no idea if Mississippi State is going to show up or not. Because for the past, I think, three years, Mississippi State had made it to the NCAA tournament. And for the past three years, the governor of Mississippi, gov governor of Mississippi, Governor Barnett, he was a huge segregationist. And he would not allow um, white teams to play integrated teams. Mm -hmm. um, so he wouldn't allow them to play in the, in the NCAA tournament. So Mississippi State, they finally make it to the tournament in 63, and they're like, we have to find a way to get to this game. Um, so they ended up, and this is where the Mission Impossible part comes in, their plan was to send six of the reserves to one airport, 
and they were going to radio back to tell the starting the starting guys um, whether or not they got arrested or not <laughs> before they took off before they took off and if they ended up getting arrested they would f- drive and fly to a different airport and fly out of there to go and play the game um, it's a crazy story so what actually ended up happening is that the first guys they went they radioed back they said hey you guys can come on through they all got onto the plane and then they went and they uh, ultimately got an opportunity to play in the, in the NCAA tournament, which is what they wanted all along. Yeah, and one of the interesting pieces of this from the Loyola side is that Coach Ireland, George Ireland there at Loyola, he broke kind of an unwritten rule at the end of the previous season, which is that, you know, there was kind of this gentleman's agreement, I think, among coaches, like no more than three black players on the court at a time. Right. He started four black players, right? Right. Yeah, and I think – so here's the funny thing about that, like about the unwritten rule that I think is kind of ironic. I think the rule was you couldn't play more than three black players at a time. <laughs> However, if you were losing, you could play four. <laughs> and I'm just like – when I heard that, I was like, that's kind of funny. Like you got to laugh sometimes because it's like – you can't play more than three, but if you're losing, you need some help to get back in the game. Then you might be able to get away with playing four. Like that's kind of that's that's kind of funny. But um, yeah, like there, like you said, there was a gentleman's bet amongst coaches that you had, and you stuck to this rule. You didn't break this rule. This was just kind of like how things were back then. And Ireland, who had just had enough, they ended up losing in the NIT the season before, um, yep. in, in the Final Four. So in the third place game, he said, all right, I'm going to just play the best guys. And that's when he said, I'm starting four black players. And then the following season, he started four black players the whole year. Yeah. And that team rolls, you know, uh, through that, you know, I think the Mississippi State part of this is what's really kind of curious, too. I'd love to get the perspective of those guys. Are they in the documentary as all? And did you have any interaction with those individuals? Yeah, I didn't have any interaction with them, but Patrick did, and they're in the film, and 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 um, and they're actually one of the more emotional parts of the film um, because, like, what they did wasn't like it took some courage for those guys to say, you know what, like, I want to go and play a basketball game. If you're going to arrest me, then you're just going to have to arrest me. Like, it took some courage to do that, and then on top of that, they went. And not only did they break the law and, and go out and play the game, they ended up losing to Loyola and then having to fly back. And they had no idea what was waiting for them when they got back. And so when they landed, and in the movie you see this, like those guys, it still makes them a little emotional how they were received and how um, they were received very well when they landed. Let me say that. Like they were received and, and people like really supported what they did um, in, in, Miss, or in Mississippi when they landed. Um, so like it still makes them emotional to this day that you know it just reinforces the the decision that they made uh, to go and compete. You know, after that game against Mississippi State, of course, the Ramblers go on to win the national title. They they defeat Cincinnati, who's the two time defending champion. Um, what was the most surprising thing you learned about the '63 team while working on this project? Because you know, you mentioned, hey, I knew these guys, right? Like when you're at Loyola, when we're doing our final form, when I'm a freshman, I see these guys. They're around. But now you're really delving into their backstories and getting to know them and through a different lens. And so what was the most surprising thing you learned about the team? The most surprising thing that I learned, and you'll see this in the film, I say this in the film, is how they were treated on campus at Loyola. 
like it's 1960s. Like I expected them when they went and played games down south to face some sort of, you know, let's say, let's call it resistance, right? Um, where, you know, a little bit of where they would feel uncomfortable, where they would face racism down south. And they did. However, they also faced the same thing on campus. And that blew my mind. Um, there's a scene in the movie to where, like, they wanted them to come to, to go to the school dances, but they weren't allowed to dance with anybody. They weren't allowed to talk to any, they were just basically just supposed to be there, show face and be a fly on the wall. Um, there's a very emotional part in the film, which is my favorite part of the movie to where Ron Miller talks about what it's like to be discriminated against. He says, it feels like you're invisible, like you don't matter, like your life doesn't matter. Um, and that just struck home for me because I could leave my apartment right now and go across across Sheridan and occupy the same space that the 63 guys felt discriminated against. And I'm celebrated, right? Um, I don't have to deal with that type of struggle because they went through it for me. So I guess, like, say all that to say, to answer your question, like, I was very surprised at how they were treated on campus, especially since... They were winning. They were turning the program around. They won a national championship. Like you would think that, you know, they would be celebrated on campus. And that was just simply not the case. That's an interesting piece to this. So what was your favorite part about working on the documentary? You know, was there a special interaction you had, a unique learning experience, or maybe a, a particular moment that really resonated with you? You know, what what really was yeah. I obviously like I had a lot of fun working on this project. And, you know, I had a lot of fun, like, you know, trying to figure it out. And because and, narration is not something that I saw myself doing. Like you said, I have a journalism major, Spanish minor, management minor, and I'm getting my master's in marketing. So filmmaking is something that's not in my field. I didn't study it. I didn't see myself doing it. Um, but I just like that, you know, I accepted something that was a little outside my comfort zone, a little outside my boundaries. And um, obviously telling, uh, telling a very compelling and, and emotional story for me. Um, but yeah, I guess my favorite part would just be, you know, me actually trying, me actually figuring it out. Um, when I first started out, like there was all these notes that, you know, Patrick and his team would give me, like I was, you know, saying or put emphasis on wrong types of words. Like it, like the script would take me a long time to get through whenever they sent it to me. Fast forward a year and a half later when we did the final script and we went over the whole script, it only took me three hours to go through the whole entire script. And it got to the point to where I would say it and Patrick and, and or Julia or whoever was on the call would be like, hey, that was perfect. But let's just say it again, just so we have a different uh, version of it. But that was perfect. And we just flew through the whole thing. So that was probably my favorite part. That's awesome. You know, and what do you take away from working on the project? Is there a lesson, a new perspective, new skills? Like, what do you what do you take from this project to move forward with? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can sit here and talk about myself and, and all the things that I learned, um, you know, from working on a project and, and making a movie. Um, but I don't think that's as important as the lessons that I learned from the story itself. Um, like, I I just have more, I'm more conscious um to the fact of, of how all I have to do is focus on school and basketball. Like being a student athlete, um, 
well, I guess I'm not a student athlete anymore, but, um, <laughs> but student be like being a student athlete and having to focus on school and basketball is now a blessing rather than, um, you know, Oh my God, like I got to focus on just school and basketball. Like they did, went to school, got their degrees. They competed at a high level. Not only did they compete at a high level, they won a national championship while feeling threatened for their actual physical safety in their lives. They weren't celebrated off campus. They weren't celebrated on campus. Like the list goes on and on and on about the things that they had to deal with. And now, you know, you fast forward to 2022, it's like, I'm just more conscious to, you know, the sacrifices that people made in front of me. That's a great comment there, man. So let's, uh, before we get out of here and kind of wrap this up, I just want to end our chat with some quick style hits. We've talked about some heavy stuff here with the 63 team. So let's kind of bring it back to the present day. Um, we're in the middle of March madness here. So who was the most impressive opponent you played against in your five years at Loyola? Oh boy. Oh boy. Um, there's so many, um, there's so many, but probably, um, Jabari Smith from Auburn this year in the Bahamas. Um, you know, as a defender, I'm very like like very skeptical when guys come into high or come into college and they have all this hype around them. Um, and even like that's just the competitor in me. Uh, like even in high school, I was like that. Like, you know, this guy's not really that good. He's just got hype. Jabari Smith is, is that good. <laughs> <laughs> like, like before the game, they were like, oh, yeah, like he's projected number one in, in the draft. And I was like, oh, okay, we played him. Yeah, he's he's that good. And, like, watching him, like, throughout the whole year, he's that good. Like, he – like, I would draft him first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, that's good to know. Some NBA draft pick here. here. Uh, <laughs> coolest arena you played in? Um, Gentile Arena, obviously. All right, let's take them off the table. Obviously, the band of wolves, like, come on now. <laughs> um, take them out. Coolest arena. Um, oh, boy, you got me thinking now. I'm just going to go with, oh, the Alamo Dome. Obviously, <laughs> I played in a, in a freaking football stadium. Are you kidding me? Like, that was crazy. <laughs> Like a half mile to get out to the court from your locker room. Too, yeah, right? that, well, first of all, that was the longest run to the court I've ever. Like, you, it just went on and on and on and on and on and, and on. You felt you were a member of the Loyola track team that day. Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. We talked about the most impressive opponent, uh, the most impressive impo- opponent, the, the coolest arena. What about the wildest fans you ever encountered? Wildest fans. I've ever Hopefully, guys that were more funny okay. than cruel. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. You know. Um, the Drake fans were a little wild, um, especially my junior and senior year. Um, somebody held up a sign and during Arch Madness that says, uh, Lucas Williamson eat or like pours his, his milk before his cereal. And I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> um, but All right. we played Florida my freshman year. Um, and that was like my first introduction to like playing like a high major team. And they were actually like, they were like top five in the nation at yeah. that time. I mean, their student section was full 60 minutes before game time had happened. Like they're like cheering 
when we were missing shots in the warmups. <laughs> and it was it was crazy. And I actually remember this. I had a friend. I must have had a friend or somebody that that went to Florida from high school because they knew my name. They, they knew a whole bunch of things about me. Uh, yeah, like, no, that was that was that was interesting. All right, man. What about a win you had at Loyola that you took a little extra satisfaction in? Because you know what, man, I don't want to hear that every game's created equal. Like beating Evansville on a Thursday is nice, but like, <laughs> let's be honest, man. There's some extra games where you're like, I felt that one felt a little extra special. Honestly, um, all three games are Arch Madness this year. Um, all three of them, just because it, and just because those are the three teams that had gotten us during the regular season. Um, you know, you and I winning the regular season. Um, not going to get into it. Um, <laughs> um, and then we play – who else did we play? We play Bradley after that. Or did we play Bradley first? We played Bradley first, right. So Bradley had swept us, right? Or – no, I think Bradley swept us this year. They did. And then um, you and I had beat us and won the regular season, and then Drake. No, Drake had swept us. That's right. Drake swept us. So just all three of those games kind of just felt like, it felt like destiny. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, man. I thought you were going to say beating Illinois to go to the Sweet 16 last year. I mean, that one too, but, like, I didn't really, like, hate them. You know, I, not that I hated the other guys but or the other teams, but, like, I just those in-conference, in like, battles, they just feel that much more because you know the other team. You know what I'm saying? Like – Playing Illinois was cool because, you know, they're Illinois and we're Chicago. Um, and, like, I knew Io, but, like, there was no, like, I didn't really know them like that. But when you play a team, like, in your conference, like, there's, like. Gets a little angry, yes. It's like a little, uh, a little edge, if you say. All right, man. Well, let's end it here. What's next for Lucas Williamson? We got five years behind us at Loyola. We got a documentary. Uh, what's next for you? Yeah, um, I want to be a pro. Um, I want I want to play in the NBA. That's been the dream of mine. Um, so I'm gonna give it. A, I'm gonna give it a go. I'm gonna give it a real shot. Um, but I want to play basketball for as long as I can. Um, and when I'm done playing basketball, who knows? Who knows what I what I what trouble I'll get myself into. That's awesome, man. Well, we're here at 199 wishing you a lot of luck. So we're going to end it there, Lucas, and let you get on with your day. And thanks for joining us here on the 199 podcast to talk about your career at Loyola and uh, the documentary. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the 199 podcast. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do. And while you're at it, leave us a rating or review. Five stars only, like the basketball camp. We also have links to all of 199 social media so you never miss a release. Until next time. 